Welcome back to the Wildside News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. You hear animals communicating every time you go outside. In your own home, if you've got a pet, you know it's communicating with you all the time. Cats meow, they ignore you, they jump on your chest while you're reading a newspaper. Dogs communicate in so many ways, it's a real-time endeavor just to keep up. But some would say you are missing most of what those animals are able to tell you. If you only knew how to ask and how to listen. How do you ask your pet what she's thinking? Stay tuned and find out. I'm a person who... From the time I was small, just have have had a, I have had a fascination with all of life, but in particular animals. I've had almost every kind of creature as an animal, uh, save the big whales and things of that nature. But uh, the usual run cats and dogs and birds and and uh, turtles and everything else. And through the years, and as a scientist, what began to be obvious to me was the fact more and more that these animals. Really, truly, when they look at you, they're looking right into your soul. And if you're wise and and can develop the capacity to understand that that's what's happening, there's a chance that you'll as well be able to read that animal's soul and be richer for it. It's a gift, and uh, it's always fun to talk with someone, and there's many people out there who understand this fully, but it's great now to welcome to the show Marta Williams, who has written a book recently called Ask Your Animal, Resolving Behavioral Issues Through Intuitive Communication. She's joining us now from Northern California. Marta, welcome to the Wild Side News. Thank you for having me. You're a biologist. You're a scientist. You've uh, spent time, uh, uh, you know, really studying, quote-unquote, the truth and trying to figure things out. Talk a little bit about that as a preface to then how this has evolved into a much deeper a scientific relationship with these animals. And I mean that scientific, I mean it's provable. Right. Well, I, I did work as a scientist for about 15 years doing all kinds of different things. Um, I researched the toxic effects of chemicals on wildlife with fish and wildlife and researched fish populations. I also did environmental impact reports and studies, and I also worked on uh, environmental regulation and controlling toxic waste, that kind of thing. So I really worked with statistics and all of the scientific method and all the things you do and experiments, et cetera. So I do have that background and that training. But I really felt that the work that I was doing was not enough to help the planet given the situation that we're in. So I was kind of casting about for what would be a better way to do this. And a series of events led me to animal communication and I really perceived that it was a way to help people shift their relationship with the natural world. And I feel that human consciousness shifting is probably the the single most important thing that needs to happen on this planet if we're going to survive. If everybody was on the same page and everybody felt that we needed to go sustainable and we needed to preserve the environment, then it would be happening. Do you see? That's what I do every day with yeah. the... With my life and so, the wild side news, I'm exactly. in perfect, we're in so, perfect alignment. Yeah. So that's why, as a scientist, I, I sort of got more in the business of, of consciousness shifting. But I do consider myself to still be a scientist in the work that I'm doing, as you say, because it is something 
that is provable. And the way that I do that is real simple. When I teach people, I have them talk to an animal about things that the animal's person can then verify, like, what do you like to do? Um, what was your past? How did you come to be with your person? What does your house look like? What kinds of uh, food do you eat? Who are your best friends? What do they look like? Do you like to go in water? Do you like to play with kids? You know, on and on and on. So there's just thousands of questions you can ask that are verifiable. And then when people do that and get 70 to 90% accuracy rate, it's it's greater than chance. It's it's a, a proven, you know, it's an experiment that you have proven that this is real. Well, now, of course, some people are going to be skeptical, and as they should. I mean, we have to be skeptical right. about these things. That's what makes life interesting, mm-hmm. is to try to really, really resolve the truth. And, and there will be those who will never get it. But let's start to explore, when you're talking about talking with animals, and you actually take this very far, very detailed uh, capacity to communicate. Mm-hmm. But let's start out with some simple things, the basis of why we should believe in any way, shape, or form that such a thing is even possible. The scientists who are working on this are mainly physicists, and they have done experiments with particles and matter. To, through their experiments, they've proven a number of things. One thing they proved is that all matter is aware of all other matter, and they're, of course, working with some, you know, small particles. Photons. So they postulated that, that we can all be aware of everyone else, even when we're separated by distance and, and, and even separated by time. They've also proven that there is energy, even in zero degrees, there's, they, they can detect energy movement and energy. So they're saying that we are all connected by a, a basic energy force that's there no matter what temperature you're at. And so they're postulating that because of these experiments, they're saying that it's possible for us to be in connection with anybody or anything we want to be in connection with, no matter how far away we are. So they're basically proving that telepathy is possible. That there is this capacity to communicate information or or change. We'll just call it change through time, you know. That's right. Uh, at a distance. And what's interesting is that some people, again, would say, oh, well, that sounds a, a bit odd. But, you know, there was a time, I always think back to the time of uh, Thomas Edison, when he would be saying to people around him, listen, I'm going to be able to talk into this thing in in right. Boston, and someone is going to be able to hear me in Cleveland. Right. And people would go, you're out of your mind. Right. Suggesting that we can talk through space and time through this energy system. And, and now we take it for granted that we can pick up a phone and talk to right. anybody in the world. So this, this invisible, these invisible forces and fields and waves and however this thing works, which is way beyond me to, to explain, we just have to first of all, and that's what we're doing here, is admit that these things, that it is possible to communicate over vast distances based on these systems. And, and then that, I, from my perspective, and we're going to have a, this will be a fun conversation, um, you know, we can do brainwave scans. We're doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our brain and all of our electronic, we are an electronic being. Mm-hmm. And uh, so therefore we're sending out signals all the time. Well, the physicist would say all life is about energy. And then you go to a, a chemist and they'd say all life is chemistry. But, but I think really the physicist have it. And I think energy is, you know, the basic building block of all life. And that's what unites us all, this energetic connection. And it's, it's what, when they, when the re- reference to the Akashic Record or universal knowledge is really in modern day translating into this quantum physics idea that we're all connected energetically. And what we're doing at this point is just laying the framework for the fact that there is a, a scientific 
basis for for talking about communicating with animals and and so let's let's move into that realm a little bit part of the the process of communicating in, with animals is is opening up your own uh, system to the possibility well uh, i'd like to use a story to um explain it they uh, stories always work well <laughs> Um, it's one of the stories that's in the beginning of the book about a student who, um, actually she wasn't a student, she just read my book, and she remembered that I had said that the way to talk to animals, the way to, to do this process is you, you you know send out an inquiry, send out a question to the animal, and then pay attention to every single thing that comes into your range of consciousness, any impressions that you get. So an impression could be a thought that pops in your head, it could be a feeling that you get emotionally. It could be a physical, a, a, a sort of a phantom physical sensation. It could be an image that you get, like a, a you know just a, a picture of something that pops into your head. So the idea is that you just become hypersensitive and hyper attuned to any impressions that come in as soon as you send out your inquiry. And so she had the opportunity to try this because a dog got hit right in front of her house and it actually had tags. So she called the person, told the person that she was taking the dog to the vet, emergency vet, and to meet her there. On the way there, she um, was comforting the dog who was really seemed to be upset. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, honey. You know, I wish I knew your name. And then the name Daisy popped into her head. It just came into her head like that. And she said, hum, I wonder if that's her name. So she started calling her Daisy, and then she said, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, your mom's going to be meeting you at the at the vet. And then when she said that, a picture popped into her head of this woman with red hair. And she thought, wow, I wonder if that's the dog's mom. And then she got to the vet and the, took the dog in and came back out, and this blonde woman came walking in. She went, oh, well, I guess I was wrong about that. But then the blonde woman walked up to the dog and said, it's okay, Daisy, don't worry. Your mom's on the way. Hmm. And so then this red-haired woman came in. Hmm. So by then, my you know reader was like the woman who who read the, the, my book was or who heard about this was like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. And then she just thought, I'm crazy. This isn't right. So she just asked the dog real quickly, why were you in front of my house? Why did you you know how did you get there? Why why were you out wandering? And the dog she got from the dog as a thought, I was out hunting and I got lost. And so then she turn to the woman and say, how come, how come Daisy was in the road, you know? And the, per, the owner said, oh, my husband was out hunting with her and, and, and Daisy got lost. Hmm. So that's just, you know, how can you argue with that as data? And as your book so well points out, and the book is a, a wonderful read of lots of stories, as well as just uh, the types of things we've been talking about here, some of the basis for this. One of the aspects of, of this c- capacity to communicate with animals that I think is, and it's being well documented through some of the autism studies and people who are working in this, and that is that animals are kind of an open book, and they're, that they're, as you say so well, they're not taught uh, to to suppress their emotions, they don't have any reason to do that, mm-hmm. uh, and their feelings, and that certainly is the case with animals, mm-hmm. and uh, that is what one of the reasons that it is possible to really share and communicate is because uh, they're a receptor at all times and prepared to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about first of all, just picking up on them mm-hmm. and where they're at. Yeah, well, what I say is animals are masters at intuitive communication, so. We were actually conditioned to repress our, our intuition from an early age. But like everything alive, we have intuition as an innate quality. So it's, a, it's an innate ability in all life, I believe. 
and what happens is that in humans we are really trained to suppress it. So, you know, the idea that um, it's silly or it's not possible, it, whenever we get an intuitive message or impression, we dismiss it with those words because that's what we've been trained to do. Animals don't do that. They're, actually, they're absolute masters at this. They're highly sensitized, and they know that paying attention to your intuition is a, is a survival tool that will help you make the best choices in life and that will direct you and lead you in the best direction, the most positive direction for your life. So that's why they do it. It works. So in terms of connecting back with them and with your own intuition, one of the first things I tell people to do, I look at it as experiments. So I say, you know, let's try some experiments because that's the scientist to me coming out. So the first experiment is to just talk to your animals for two weeks out loud as if you believe that your animals can understand you in the same way that a human would. So you talk to them on that level, as if you're talking to a friend. Out loud, explain everything to them, give them a heads up about things that are happening, tell them where you're going, how long you're going to be gone, where you're going to be back, and explain to them anything that you would like them to do or change, and see if they don't change over the two weeks to such an extent that you, at the end of two weeks, go, okay, I get it, they really do understand me. One of my students and colleagues was taking her horse for a walk, grazing him out on a, a levee, and the horse slipped out of the halter. On one side, she had a train coming down the track. On another side, there was a busy freeway or a busy road, and then there was a group of children with a teacher coming from the other direction. And so no matter where the horse went, it would have gotten into some kind of a horrible situation, you know, if it started running. It's a bit of a nightmare scenario. Yeah, and so she... She was, like, freaking out and going, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden she went, oh, that's right. I can talk to her. And so she just, she just got really calm and she said, Callie, you, have, you are not safe. You have got to come back to me right now and let me put this halter on. And she said she could not believe she was in shock. Callie turned around and walked right up to her and put her head down and put the halter on. Mm. I think one of the, the keys to your interpretation, and I share it entirely, and I believe this fully, and I think those people who can accept this and, and begin to live in this, this sense of truth, that animals are, are very intelligent creatures. They have capacities to survive. I mean, you take any animal, any creature, and, and the, the diversity of, of actions and reactions that they have is a full matrix of life and an expression of all sorts of talents and awareness that they have. I was, watching a spider make a web the other day. And it's extraordinary to watch how they, they, they manage to like sort of slide down one of the, the strands. And they take their little button, stick it on the, exactly on the, the next uh, support strand. They are fully aware of what they're doing. Uh, they know they have, they have a sense of their body and balance and what has to happen. Uh, it isn't just instinct. They're fully aware. And that's just one example. And certainly anybody who has animals through time, if they pay, take any time to really try to connect with them, they live with us for years mm-hmm. and years and years and cohabit and entertain us mm-hmm. and communicate with us. And the more that we I, I think you're right on, treat them as if they're intelligent, something changes when you do That's that. right, and then you start seeing it. It's sort of like a biofeedback loop. You, you, you finally, they're, basically what they're saying is, oh, well, you finally are treating me, you know, like I'm intelligent, so now I'm going to act that way. Thank you very much. Um, That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, I, another really quick story is about I just worked at, I work with the Humane Society, and I teach there, and then our class works with the animals there to help them in whatever way they need it. And we just, just recently worked with a dog that 
was not getting adopted, and the Humane Society was very concerned about why wasn't this dog getting adopted. It had been months and months. And so we all talked with the dog and, and told her what we thought she needed to do to get adopted, and we also told her what the benefits of being adopted would be. And we did that in the early afternoon, and then the class ended, and we left, and she got adopted that afternoon, there just like that. And and the lady who run, runs the education department said, you can't tell me that that dog didn't understand you 100%. And she said, I was watching her with this couple, and she was just playing up to them like nobody's business, and this was completely uncharacteristic behavior for her. You lay out your case very well through a, there must be about 50 or 60 mm-hmm. examples in your book yep. that are really quite amazing. Most of your book is really communicating with literally animals in, in your world, pets and you also talk briefly about communicating with wild animals, mm-hmm. and that certainly is something that I've experimented with, and I share this with people, and it can, it's, it's so fun to hear someone say something so similar coming from exact, you know, the same perspective, that when I'm out in the wild and uh, I'm in a spot where there's a chance that there may be animals around, um, I will sit and then I will just become a loving being. That's all I can say. I just really kind of send out this sense from my heart. And this is how I, this is how I operate. I'm not saying everyone can do this or that they should do it this way, but this is how I do it. And it's amazing how suddenly or they just start to show up. And the next thing you know, there'll be a rabbit and they're, you know, off uh, six feet away from you and they're cleaning. And it's just sort of like it's a sanctuary mm-hmm. that they, they perceive and they go, oh, great. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. We can hang out with you. What I say is animals can really read people. They can read your mind. They can read your heart. They can read the pictures in your mind. So I absolutely recommend that when people go walking in the woods and or in nature, that whatever animal they see, they send out a feeling of love. That's a perfect way to, to say hello, you know, to send a feeling of love from your heart. And then what's nice is to, to work on having a dialogue. And so the way that would work is you just say something, say a compliment. Oh, I just love your, you know, your coat. You're so beautiful. And then say, do you have anything to say to me? Do you have a message? And see what you get back. And that's when you go into that receiving mode where you pay attention to any impressions, be it a thought, a feeling, an image, any impression, no matter what it is that comes in, and accept it as being the response from that animal. That's the tricky part because people want to have the right answer. They want it to be a certain way. They want it to look pretty. And really, to be good at this, you need to go into completely non-judgmental, non-critical mode and accept. Do you just accept and say, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's what this animal sending to me. I like the way uh, that you approach this, which, again, it's, it's fun to see the scientist side of you involved in, in the presentation of your <laughs> book, where you, uh, you literally tell people to get a piece of paper and a pencil mm-hmm. and then start this process. And then, as you say, particularly on the receiving side, just write down whatever comes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, your brain's going to step all over that. Any number of times, and it may take days or weeks for you to... No, nope, it doesn't take days or weeks. Okay, well, correct no, me. No, no, I teach people in a half an hour how to do this. It's it's something that really everybody's born doing this. We all did it as children. That's, I think, why there's an appeal for people. Not only is it something that you remember how fun it was as a kid, but I think it's also ancestral. It's like an ancestral need that we have to get back to the relationship that our ancient ancestors had with nature and the natural world. I kind of misphrased that. You're absolutely right. It's there. I, the The time frame was the point where we re- finally realized, 
my gosh, I think this is working. Right. You know, where you start to say, you know, it's it's an experiment. It's an and, experiment and it can yeah, work. Absolutely. Uh, exactly. Well, talk about some of the ways in which this has really served well. For example, in uh, dealing with animals that are uh, exhibiting bad behavior, we can assume that they're just a, a, a difficult animal, but you suggest that it's very important to take a little time to perhaps do this communication with that animal to see if there is some information that can be transmitted between the two of you. Yeah, in my book I go into detail about how people can use this to improve their relationship with their animal, to get a closer relationship, and also to problem solve on problem behaviors. And um, I, I, I provide a lot of different things you can do. The basic approach is to... Explain yourself in great detail and how you feel and what your position is and what your feelings are to your animal because a lot of times people just don't do that. So that's the first step. And then to ask for feedback from your animal. And then once you have that feedback, to start designing a program to correct the behavior based on the feedback you get. But literally it's that that dialogue has to happen, and that's what's missing from most training programs and, and most of the approaches that people take. Well, for example, you gave an, uh, a story about a horse that was um, uh, someone bought at an auction, I believe, or something of that nature, and and uh, otherwise a nice horse, but it had this nipping behavior that uh, was, you know, that can be very, very challenging. And uh, can you recall that story and, and share that, how that came to be resolved? It was a mare that had been a show mare, and they, uh, when they brought her into their barn, she just was biting everybody, and she wouldn't let you go in with her, and it was, she was really scary, and they didn't really know what to do with her. And so my trainer just went, and she did really totally intuitive approach, and she just went to the stable and stood there and did, you know, out of the horse's reach and said, look, um, I'm just going to sit here and read my book, and if you want to have a relationship with me, then you, know, you, can, you can come over and act nice. And the first time the horse just was like frantic and freaking out and didn't didn't approach her. I think by the third time she did this third session, the horse um, came up to her and was acting polite. So she said, "Okay, well I'm going to come in and say hi." And she went in, and the horse came right up to her and was really polite. And then uh, my trainer was pregnant at the time, and the horse like put her nose on her belly. And then at that point, from that point on, she was like completely different horse. She was just like, okay, humans are all right again. And then she was nice to people, and she could go out, and they could work with her. So it was, it was a matter of like approaching her on her own terms. You, you give many examples of behavioral problems where um, it was resolved in this process of communicating with the animal, uh, where the animal was kind of able to say, look, you know, one of the reasons I'm acting out here is because I I get the sense that maybe you know you're not uh, you're not as close to me as as I would like you to be, and maybe you're not going to keep me. There's all sorts of different insecurities that can come Absolutely. through. Absolutely, you know, it certainly comes through in human relationships. Well, even more so with animals, because for example, horses are are treated like cars. Yes, and dogs and cats can be too. Um, so they have very legitimate claim to you know, uh, concern about whether they're going to be with you and whether... So I always tell people, make sure you make any promises you can make to your animal. Assure them. Give them those assurances. They need it, just it, like we need it. In terms of this communication, it can be literally verbal or it can be through an intuitive channel of trying to trying to really in, intuit, and it can be both. Yeah, really, when you're talking, you're actually sending intuitive 
impressions along with whatever you're saying out loud. That's one of the researchers that I studied um, who was a linguist and uh, also part Native American and also a physicist who was a really brilliant guy who unfortunately died young. Um, his position was that intuitive communication, sending words, sending images, sending feelings, non-verbally, telepathically, you know, mentally, basically, is the precursor to spoken word, and it still underlays all spoken words, so that whatever you're saying, you're sending feelings and thoughts and, and pictures along with it. So that's why when you talk out loud, they get it. And so when you receive, you can receive words in your head, you can receive images, you can receive feelings, you can even receive what I call phantom or virtual smells and tastes. You can get memories of something that will inform you about a particular animal. Like you might have a memory of walking by the ocean and then you find out that this animal go, you know, loves to go to the ocean. Do you see? So all kinds of things can come in as impressions. And your job is really just to be like the clerk stenographer, the court stenographer. Your job is just to go, oh, there's an impression. Let me get that down. And have absolutely no attachment or value judgment of the impression. If people can do that, that's what I tell them. If you can do that, that sounds simple, but it's hard. But if you can master that, you'll be really good at this. And I do get people within a half an hour getting 70 to 90% accuracy on their answers. Absolutely. I know from life that there's many different kinds of people. There are kind of left brain people and right brain people. Doesn't matter. <laughs> well, interesting. That's what I'm, I'd like to explore yeah. because I know people might say, you know, some people tend to be much more logical and need words, and some people send, tend to be more abstract and and work more in the in the intuitive side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, explain your experience. Well, yeah, everybody's different, and so as a scientist, I was more left brain, and you would be too. But you can still learn how to do this. It just means that you might have to get over yourself a little bit more. Well, let's talk about that. Well, it just means that you have to kind of make a deal with your, your frontal lobe and say, look it, stop being critical. Stop trying to get an A. Stop trying to get the right answer. Stop trying to make it fit, you know, with your logical construct of what this animal would be. Forget about all that. Dump it. That's not useful. It's useful in other areas, but when you're doing intuition, that's going to actually kill you. That's going to get you bad answers. So dump all that and instead just be a completely open, like a dream catcher, where you're just an open net and you're catching impressions as they come in and recording them. And so you just convince your mind that that's the way to do it, and then your mind eventually says, oh, wow, this works. Okay, cool. I'll do that. And the way that you convince your mind is you have to go back to the basics. You have to work with animals that you don't know that well, and you have to ask them questions that you can then go to their person and say, is this right? That's the basic. You have to do that. That's the first thing I have people do. This is really fun because, again, this is where your scientist side comes out, and I so much appreciate that. <laughs> um, talk about that because this is, uh, this is really how you kind of begin to condition and open up yourself, fine-tuning your intuition. I think it's a very interesting process, this concept of dealing with other animals that you're not yeah. familiar with who have an owner so that you can right. verify. Go right. ahead and, well, I'll give you another story because it's the best way to, to describe how this sure, works. And, sure, sure. Um, this is from my uh, one of my books, and it's a uh, uh, Somebody who read my book. She didn't take class. She just read the book, and she said, okay, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to just practice with animals that I don't know that well, and I'm going to ask them questions. So she was out at the gym. She was going to the gym, and this Rottweiler was outside the gym, 
Her name is Kathy. The mother's name is Amanda. And she, so mentally, not out loud, she said, hi, Amanda, how are you? And then she waited and saw and was just became aware, like open, like a radar screen. Okay, what's coming in? And she heard in her head, like herself talking to herself, I'm fine, I'm the best Rottweiler there is, but I'm worried about my mom. And she's like, oh, that's weird. Where did that come from, hmm. you know? So she just went with it. She said, okay, Marta said you have to trust what you get, so I'm just going to go with it. So she said, well, why are you worried about your mom? And then again, she got word from the dog, well, my mom has been really tired. And then she got a picture and words at the same time saying, my mom fell asleep on one of my beds and she saw an image of this woman who she knew just to see her at the gym, you know, the dog's owner, asleep on this plaid dog bed. And she thought, oh, well, that's weird. That's really weird because she didn't think the woman, she thought she was rather fastidious and wouldn't sleep on a dog bed, right? So then this woman comes out right at that point and she says, okay, well, I'm just going to have to check this out because that's what Marta said I have to do. So she, she says, so hi, how are you? And the woman goes, oh, I'm fine, but I've been exhausted lately. You know, I even fell asleep on one of Amanda's beds. <laughs> and the lady's like, one of her beds? And she said, yeah, she has a bunch of beds. I fell asleep on her plaid dog bed. And, and Kathy was like, okay, this works. I get it. <laughs> That's the experience you have to have. I'll tell you a little story. This happened literally this morning. You know, I've been reading your book. And I have a little cockatiel. And by the one of the things you talk about is how animals come to you, and that's exactly what happened with my cockatiel. Yeah. Uh, following the fires here in San Diego, a number of years back, um, I went outside, and here was this bird. I recognized a cockatiel call, and I call, kind of called back, and the next thing you know, it was at my feet, oh. and um, hopped up on my finger, and, oh. and uh, we, of course, tried to find an owner, but uh, that wasn't possible, and now she's smoky. Oh, <laughs> you know, and um, she's uh, uh, my my girlfriend uh, Claire, who wasn't an animal person, wasn't real pleased that I would be suddenly <laughs> bringing this animal into the house. And I said, hey, "Excuse me, I didn't do this." <laughs> she came to me. And now, of course, Claire and, and Smokey are the best of friends. Amazing how that happens. Yeah. So the bird has been able to literally open up that side of yeah. of her, and it's a it's a wonderful story. But this morning, uh, after I, I said, "Okay, I'm going to try this," so I walked into the kitchen. Uh, oh, and Smokey's in a cage. And I, and I, so I asked Smokey, I said, what do you want? And what came to me was that she wanted some f- from fresh treats, meaning something uh, green. Now, I don't, we don't feed her a lot of greens because she doesn't seem to take to them all, only, only when she's ready. Uh-huh. And also, if I walk up to the cage and I offer her something, she rarely takes anything. But I said, okay, I'll follow this. Went to the kitchen, got a little piece of lettuce, walked back, and she just ate, just ate it. And well, I, I, that is, that's a wonderful story. It's absolutely, you know, I, and I just went, and of course I was totally open to this. I just put it there and she didn't ask any questions. That's what she wanted. She's never, I've never had that right. ever, you know, gotten her a piece of lettuce because I sense that she wants it because she go. typically doesn't. So, well, and that's what's sort of brilliant about that story is that you said, okay, I'm just going to go with what I get regardless of what my logical mind is telling me. Right. And that is the key to this process. Uh, that's exactly what happened. She and I are actually pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I treat her with great respect, and we're very close friends. But uh, this particular time, I asked her that question, and that's what I got back. And I, I was really quite, to be honest with you, I almost couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, that's what—that's the feeling you can have with this stuff. You go, oh, my God. And to be honest with you, that's why I have never gotten bored with this field. I'm, I'm one of those people who goes, okay, been there, done that, and I'm bored. I've never, ever gotten bored with this field. 
Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And it's just endlessly fascinating and endlessly rewarding to realize that this process that really much of the world thinks of as magic and, and science fiction is actually real. Anybody can do it, and you can do it right in your home with your own animal. You know, I believe this fully, and that is that in the world out here, we started out this conversation talking about how can we help to change the situation, the crisis on the earth that's happening Mm -hmm. uh, between animals and humans and this whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. And like you, um, I believe one of the most incredibly powerful keys is to help people understand that these animals are waiting for us to wake up, Mm -hmm. that they're out here talking to us and flying around us and and teasing us with their activities and things like that, not because that's just what they do, but because actually they're trying to say, wake up, wake up, we could have a lot of fun here. And that um, virtually almost every every creature that we run across has this capacity to become our friend. That's and the stories are endless. Yeah. Uh, the friendships that exist between people and goldfish, or people and insects. You you tell the story, and I I, I have my own personal experience. So I'm fully well well able to accept it about a grasshopper. That's such a great story. I know, and I love that story where there's a there was a, a woman who didn't have any pets, um, but she was living out in a cabin in the woods and all these animals, these wild animals just started, you know, hanging out around her and so she kind of just made them her pets and talked to them and, and this one grasshopper just really like said, all right, I'm I'm your buddy and he came inside and he slept by her pillow and he hopped up on the, on the sink when she was brushing her teeth and he would drink some of her smoothie. She'd put it in a little spoon and he'd drink it. I mean, she was just like really a good friend. Just got um, something in the mail about a great white shark that some guy saved in Australia, and the shark is so grateful to him, it, it won't leave him alone, and it follows after his boat, and when he's out kayaking, it comes up behind him, and it's just like, and he scratches their belly, and she turns over. I mean, this is a great white shark, and she is like a little puppy dog around this guy. I'm not re- recommending that people go make friends with a great white shark, but I'm just saying it's pretty amazing. Well, it is, and the stories are endless, uh, certainly in in a lot of the research done with the chimpanzees and primates. A handler will be separated from a a young chimp and be gone for 20 years and come back, and that chimp knows exactly who that person is. Just like we would. Sure, and that's also another aspect of of this process of communicating, and and which I think is important to bring it at this time, Mm -hmm. and that is, for example, with a lot of these animals, you talked about horses and how they're treated like cars, that they have a history and these animals live a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. They can live 20 or 30 years. That's right. They have real history. Yep. And I think one of the in- interesting uh, insights from your book was to really try to hear their history. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the book is how to use this to help shelter animals and animals in crisis. And one of the most important things is to let them tell their story, what they've been through, and just counsel them about it and tell them how you feel and, you know, what your advice would be for them, it's amazing how that can make a huge shift in their emotions, just like a person going to a counselor. You're absolutely right. I'll share another funny story. It's kind of the backside of this. I had a number of cats. I was living in New Mexico out in the desert, and there was one cat, Dinah, and Dinah was a really great cat. Uh, there was another cat, Tigger, and she was a, a bit goofy. She was pretty much insane until she was pregnant, and then she she suddenly became a, a rational creature again. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> but Dinah was a very proud cat, and we all have cat stories. I used to 
like to tease Dinah, and I, I could sense that it kind of got, got to her, which is not a good thing to do, but that's kind of what we did. Well, one day she was walking out, and I, I don't recall what it was, but I said something that I, what was a tease to her. I realized that to some extent I'd kind of gone over the line. I, I can't even remember what it was. How and, funny. And so I'm sitting there on this chair reading a paper, and I had shorts on, and all of a sudden Dinah came up, and all she did was she just basically reached up and sunk her claws into my shins and then walked away and said... <laughs> There. She'd never done that before. Oh, that's so funny. But, I mean, I had the sense that I went over the line. Yeah. I thought that, you know, it was my, I went, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I tried to rationally catch myself up and said, well, that's stupid. You know, why she, she doesn't understand this. Oh, yes, she did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have a story in my book like that about uh, a woman and her horse, and the horse was really acting poorly, and and she had taken a class so she knew how to talk to her and so she tuned in her and said what's wrong and the and immediately she got the horse wanted her to apologize because her friend and she had called the horse a stupid butt (laughs) (laughs) yeah because the horse was standing still when they were getting on her and the horse was really insulted so she said okay i'm really sorry the horse's name was star i'm sorry star i didn't mean to do that and then as she was saying that then she got an image of grass and she got the she just knew the message from her horse was, "I don't want. I want you to mount me on the grass, not the cement." And then she got the idea that the horse was worried that somebody would fall off, and she wanted people, if they were going to fall, to be on the on the grass. So they moved the mounting block to the grass, and she stood perfectly still and didn't give them any problem at all. So it was a really interesting process for her to realize that her horse was really talking to her, and she really did hear her because when she went and implemented what the horse wanted, the horse behavior changed instantly. I know, and this is a bad habit of mine, I sort of like to form close relationships, it's not bad that I form close relationships with my animals, but I do tend to kind of like to tease them a little bit, and I'm rethinking that. <laughs> uh, well, seriously, because uh, we all like to be teased a little bit, but sometimes it's it's like not the time to tease me right mm-hmm. now, and uh, I kind of like to do that, and I think I'm going to take back in a bit, be better to send out just love and kindness and acceptance and things of that nature. Well, I think a little teasing is okay. You don't want to turn into a you know milk toast but that's right a little but, teasing is okay but you don't want to cross the line so that's that's probably and so what you can do is just go hey you guys i really like to tease you but if i cross the line tell me there you go <laughs> that's great make it clear obviously some people would wonder if it's possible to apply these to locating lost animals yeah i use it for lost animals absolutely and i teach people how to do that in in ask your animal i give them tools for doing that themselves the two stories that are in there are just great stories about, about lost animals and how they were recovered. Um, one was a, a dog that ran off, went up on a mountain with it, another dog, and one dog was recovered by some people who were riding horses, but the other dog wouldn't come to them. And the guy, I kept on telling him where to go to look, and he would find evidence of the dog but couldn't find the dog. You know, he'd find tracks and all that kind of thing. So I said, okay, um, and it was getting dark, and I said, okay, just... Explain to the dog in your head, like you're making a movie, the best way for him to go home from where he is now, because where he was was a place he hadn't been before, and to go home it would following the creek and going a different way than he'd ever gone to get back to the house. So they sat down and just imagined the dog going from the creek, down the creek, to the road, going down the road to home. And 4 o'clock in the morning, that's exactly what the dog did. He showed up, they saw him walking down the road, exactly the way he would have had to come, and he came back home. So many people have well documented the the capacity for animals to know when their masters are heading home. 
Right. And it is unexplainable from a scientific perspective, and it's been so well documented that it's almost like people are really troubled because it is a fact. (laughs) Yeah, it's been documented using statistically repeatable experiments. Right. Not people who are on unusual schedules, for example, where it's not well at a four thirty every day. Pretty much, they're going to show up, you know. But where the the schedule is variable, and there's a change in the behavior of the animal at home, mm-hmm. going, oh, great, they're coming, you know. Yeah, the the way that uh, Rupert Sheldrake is the one who did the research, and and the way he did it was to have a video camera on the dog, mm-hmm. and the dog would exit would go to the door, yep. just as the owner was thinking about coming home, not on her way home thinking about it. Yeah, that's right. Like she'd, she'd be sent to the library. She'd be sitting in the library and open up her instructions, and it would say, wait two minutes and then go home. And so she'd be thinking about going home, and that's when the dog would go to the door. Yeah. We're absolutely blessed by these creatures, all of them, the cats, mm-hmm. the dogs. Uh, uh, wild and wildlife. And absolutely. I, I recall. Plants. I mean, yeah, yes. we're, we're blessed by nature. Mm-hmm. And for me, and I know for you as well, we're encouraging people to just go ahead and open up because we've got nothing to lose for it. That's number one. There is nothing to lose by trying to sensitize yourself. But quite honestly, um, you'll find miracles happening in your life. I call them miracles. Yeah. They're not miracles. They're just, it's, I, it's actually common miracles. Definitely. It's a way of, it's a way of truth that exists that we sometimes don't wish to, to acknowledge. But I know, for example, that, um, I was working in a park up in Minnesota and there was a red, red-tailed hawk and I was a naturalist there. Mm-hmm. Every time I would drive by, um, that hawk would come and fly by my window. Mm. And I just, you know, I kind of wondered, wow, why is that? You know, why does it wish to connect with me? Well, and what's kind of cool about this whole thing is that it's irrespective of distance or time. So you could actually, no matter where that hawk is, even if it's, you know, dead by now, you could still go back to the spirit of that hawk and say, why did you come by my window all the time? And so that would be a really cool experiment for you to do is just, you know, first send them a compliment and connect with them and then say, why did you come by my window all the time and see what, you know, go with the first thing that pops in. You always go with the first impression that pops into your head but see what the hawk says about why he was coming by. I think what's fascinating about the process is the fact that you open the door, find something out, and then you're able to kind of dialogue about it, discuss mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. very fascinating. We're talking with Marta Williams, who has a, a new book out called Ask Your Animal. It's published by New World. New World Library. New World Library. Available, I'm pretty sure, just about everywhere. Should be. Yeah. Should be on the shelf now. Yeah. So, and uh, online. Yeah, there you go. Why don't you give it a, a website? Yeah, it's just my name. It's Marta. Williams, M-A-R-T-A, Williams.com. And you're available for lectures and uh, working with people and workshops and things of that nature? Yeah, and I do consultations by phone and email, and I teach all over the world. Lucky you. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it sure would be. <laughs> Good for you. Let's kind of close with a, with a, a strong vision here of what the world could be like and should be like and ultimately I think will become as uh, this, this truth becomes more manifest. I believe that once people learn how to do this, they open a door that they they can't go back, you know, back the other way. And it's really a radical shift in consciousness that occurs. And to my mind, what what's happening is that they're getting back to, and like I said, an ancestral, ancient way of being in the earth. And and that way is, I think, the way that people have been most of throughout most of of history. It's just the last five thousand years or so that we've kind of gone off track, that 
mindset would hold that everything is equal, everything is alive, everything is intelligent, and everything has a spirit. And therefore, we're all equal in this community. And it, it, what happens is that people start thinking differently about what their, what their role is in nature and how to relate to the natural world. I think it's amazing. Listen, I'm a busy guy, and I, my brain gets filled with all sorts of tasks and things, and I'm not always present when I walk outside like I should be. However, when I make that conscious effort to to try to really connect with the the myriads of little beings out mm-hmm. there, to, it transforms my reality into, yeah. it fills it with mystery and wonder yeah. and joy. And uh, I think the more that we do that on a regular basis, the more everything is going to start to make sense for us and we'll move on towards a better world. I agree that um, the change in what happens when you go into nature, you completely change, and I think it's really the way life should be. And I'm reminded of this quote by Rachel Carson that says, Those who dwell among the beauties and mysteries of the earth are never alone or weary of life. Well, with that, Marta Williams, I want to thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Marta has written a book again. I'll say it, Ask Your Animal, available everywhere. Marta, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. For most of you, by the time you get around to listening to this, your taxes will have been filed or not filed, In which case, be sure to file for that extension, ASAP. And to everyone everywhere, thanks for tuning in. We've got an amazing journey ahead. This is Sidney Wildsmith saying adios. Until we meet again next Tuesday or anytime on the archives, when your voice of the earth rings out around the world, here on the Wild Side News.